Welcome to season two of the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Deeper Tony, editor of the Forbes Under 30. On this show, the world's top business leaders and young entrepreneurs share their big wins, important failures, and tips on how to compete in today's fierce business climate. Coming up, we have Howie Liu, the founder and CEO of Airtable, the slick billion-dollar spreadsheet company. But first, this podcast is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp's all-in-one marketing platform allows you to manage more of your marketing activities from one place so you can market smarter and grow faster. Howie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. The ethos of many Silicon Valley companies is speed, you know, move fast and break things. You're the opposite. You are move slow and make things. Let's talk about this for a second. Talk to me about kind of your, your ethos on Airtable. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it was both by necessity, you know, with problem that we were solving and then also philosophy, you know, and, and just kind of a, the natural personalities of, of our team. Um, on the necessity side, you know, we, we just really understood the, the problem space that we wanted to solve as, as something that couldn't be brute forced by, you know, kind of pulling a bunch of all nighters uh, and, and hiring you know, uh, a bunch of people um, all at once, but rather required a lot of, uh, you know, craft and methodical, um, you know, kind of building of first the product and the business and now now the organization. Um, on the philosophy side, I think, you know, there's this, um, there's a lot of unnecessary stress in Silicon Valley, I feel, you know, a lot of people set themselves up into uh, positions where, you know, they're, they're kind of constantly on this hamster wheel to, to pedal faster and faster. Um, and, and literally have this like kind of feeling of existential dread all the time. You know, like, are we pushing hard enough? And, you know, like, are we losing enough sleep? You know, it's, it's sort of uh, crazy to me that, um, people often trade notes in, in Silicon Valley and like, you know, it's considered some, by some like kind of a virtue if you lose a lot of sleep, like, hey, you get eight hours of sleep, like, oh, wow, like that's, um, you must not be working hard enough. And I think, um, you know, I think that's just not a very inclusive or, or, um, or you know, kind of, uh, you know, pleasant experience. And so, you know, we've always wanted to, you know, think uh, longer and, and harder and, and better, um, you know, uh, versus um, trying to make very you know, quick and uh, under duress um, decisions in, in the company. Yeah, there is kind of this culture that is all about, you know, the hustle and the grind and, you know, pulling on nighters. And I, you, it makes me think of uh, the the show Silicon Valley, where, you know, the CEO, totally. Richard, yeah. Richard, is always like, there's what, how many scenes are there? He's like in the doctor's office thinking he's dying or having right. a heart attack. Or, <laughs> he's uh, always frazzled. Um, yeah. Do you find people like that? Like when you watch a show like that, you have, oh, I know this reminds me of so and so and so. Totally. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of, um, you know, we all have imposter syndrome, you know, when we first come into the, the valley and, you know, or whether or not you're, you're physically in the valley, but into uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I think that um, one way to, to cope with that is to just like work really, really, really hard and to push yourself to the, the point of like physical and mental exhaustion so that at least that way, you know, you know that if you fail, like you didn't fail because you didn't work hard enough. Um, and, you know, like I, I think sometimes like it, it's helpful to put in the extra mile, but um, but a lot of times it's about, you know, finding the right things to work on more than than uh, just pushing relentlessly uh, in, in kind of the direction that you've um, you've accidentally been pointed in. Yeah. Is it almost kind of like a no regrets thing? Like, OK, this company's like most companies fail. I've been given all this money from some investors or whatever. And if it does fail, at least I can say, hey, I kind of, you know, didn't leave anything to chance. I just worked as hard as I can. Is that part of kind of the feel? You know, I, I think um, that's definitely part of it. I think it's also just kind of hard to 
really think through, you know, to, to take a pause and think through what are the most important problems to solve? And, you know, what are the problems to be solved that, that can't be brute forced? Um, you know, that just requires um, sort of a different modality of, mm-hmm. of thinking. And, um, and it, it's often hard to kind of force yourself to carve out the space and, and uh, you know, both physical space and, and headspace um, to, to think about those things. What's your style now? Are you a stressed out guy? Do you get eight hours of sleep? What's, uh, what, uh, <laughs> have, you in, have you improved it? Have you, are you trying to improve it? What's uh, the Howie culture like? I definitely have um, what I would consider a, a sustainable, you know, kind of lifestyle, which is to say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm constantly thinking about the the myriad, uh, you know, kind of problems we need to solve for for Airtable, but it's done in a, you know, what I think is is not a super stressful fashion. Now, now certainly there are times where you, know, you just have a deadline coming up for something, oh, yeah. and you have to crank away, and like, there's no question, there's some amount of stress from that. There's, you know, there's always like things that you know, kind of, I think, are, are less than ideal and, and broken. And, and those also cause some stress. But I think overall, you know, I've felt very fortunate to, you know, to, to have an opportunity and, and a team that, you know, is very conducive to this much slower way of thinking and operating. Now, is this like learned behavior? Were you um, a mess <laughs> with it with your earlier startup or earlier in Airtable? Have you kind of, is this a reformed action? Or is this <laughs> kind of the way you've always been uh, wired? No, but very much. Well, you know, I think it is very much in stark contrast to to my last company, which, you know, just everything about that company was different. You know, first of all, the entire lifespan of that company from literally start to finish was less than a third of the time that we spent before even launching the Airtable product, kind of, you know, ruminating on and building the foundation of Airtable. So, you know, just the, the time scale was completely different. Yeah. I think that, you know, to your point, I think it was very different in terms of we constantly, frankly, felt like we were paddling you know, furiously just to stay above water. You know, I think my co-founder of that company and I literally pulled uh, all-nighters all the time. Was there a thrill in living that way? Is that Was that an exciting way? Or I were... wouldn't call it a thrill. I mean, I would say What's the downside thrill... of that? What's the downside of living like that? It's, it's very stressful. I yeah. mean, I think it's it's um, it's literally a, a drain on your health, you know, both your physical, you know, body health as well as um, your emotional health. I mean, like you, you're, you're constantly living in this kind of state of fear and dread. And that's, you know, that's the kind of thing where at nighttime, you're kind of, you know, you, you have trouble sleeping because, Jeez. you know, you have all of this stress. It's not because you're excited to think about the problems to solve in a constructive way. It's because you're actually thinking about all the possible, you know, kind of ways that as a startup, you could kind of fail and, and die. And so I think it's also, you know, it's ultimately a very, um, you know, uninclusive environment as well, because like, I don't think that's very friendly to, to folks with families yeah. or, you know, or, or relationships outside of work. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it really takes a toll on you um, and, and the people around you. Tell me the state of Airtable for people out there that don't know about it yet. Tell me about the company and why people find it exciting. Our vision has always been around this idea of democratizing software as the most important medium of the century, maybe the past five centuries. And so specifically what we mean by that is we think that just as you know, Microsoft and Apple took this powerful concept that was computing and made that accessible to everyone in the world through the GUI and, and kind of the, the personal computing uh, revolution, you know, we think that today software as a medium is locked up in the hands of a very, very small fraction of the world who happens to be able to program. And for everybody else in the world, you know, you're not able to 
fully participate in the economic value creation, the, the creative expression that it affords. So that's been the singular vision from day one. You want to make software that Steve Bertone can actually manipulate and use. That's, totally. That's, you should be a software creator, Steve. Um, that's should, a bold uh, vision. Else in the world. That is a bold exactly. vision. <laughs> and, and so the, the full 360 comes to this, which which is, you know, we literally, I have um, like memos and, and vision decks from like 2011, 2012, where, you know, we kind of talked about this, this really grandiose idea. And, you know, I think for, for the past seven years, you know, we've, we've basically been focused on building a great product that takes a big step or maybe, you know, incremental steps towards that, that vision. You know, the most, most important thing is like, you know, we, we look at the specific anecdotal, you know, customer stories of how, you know, major media and entertainment companies are building powerful production workflows on, on the platform to livestock, you know, tracking systems made by cattle farmers. You know, it's, it's really just a wide range of different use cases that people have built um, using their own imagination and the kind of Lego kit that we've provided them that I think is, is the most exciting aspect of, of the company. And we believe that we have you know, more than 100x upside from here. And, you know, more than 100x upside, not just financially, but also in terms of, you know, the impact we can have on the world. This is actually a company that wants to use technology to empower people rather than replace them. You know, a lot of uh, the trend of technology is, is automation and, and um, you know, kind of uh, cutting people out of the loop. A $100 billion company, that's a massive, massive company. At first glance, it's a, you know, if you ask, you know, a person on the street, Airtable is a you know very cool spreadsheet slash database app, but a hundred billion man, that's big. What's the roadmap? I'll write I'll write it down the strategy so I can do a clone. <laughs> well, well, don't go and compete with us. I wouldn't worry about that. Do people think you're? But when you say that, when you say like a hundred, we're going to hundred x this, we're going to be a hundred billion revenue company, like you told us. Like, do people think you're nuts? You know, I think there there's certainly a lot of milestones we'll need to reach, you know, between now and, and that, you know, kind of lofty outcome, right? I think, um, you know, we're not claiming it'll be easy. We're not claiming it'll be guaranteed. I think we have to do a really great job of continuing to innovate and, and build not just a great product and business, but also a great organization, you know, a team of, of really incredible and creative people who work at Airtable who are able to to continue to innovate on, on the vision and, and deliver you know, it's closer towards that. But I think that um, ultimately it comes down to, you know, I have a strong conviction that every so often there arises, you know, kind of a, a um, you know, a massive market opportunity that, that actually could afford a company, the, the kind of revenue base to become that kind of $100 billion plus, you know, company. And, you know, I think Google, obviously, example, you know, Facebook, um, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, so on. And if you kind of think about like, what opportunities these companies addressed, you know, they, they were kind of profoundly large, but kind of, you know, they, they made them more palatable initially so that they could actually tackle, you know, in Amazon's case, you know, just building a bookstore just online, books, yeah. you know, that's much, much less ambitious than the broader vision of, well, let's be everything online that you could sell. Yeah. And by the way, like, that's not just even physical products anymore. It's um, software as a service. Um, yeah, AWS, all that stuff. So yeah, AWS, it's, you know, video content, it's everything you could imagine, even like, you know, groceries, you know, and, and Whole Foods. Um, so I think, you know, I think for us, you know, there, there's going to be some major expansions of, you know, the actual uh, market opportunity as we progress along the road, you know, and, and today what you see, you know, the, the database, the the kind of 
uh, database that anybody could use as a starting point is kind of like our equivalent of that bookstore. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're going to continue adding, you know, Lego pieces to our kit so that you can expand the set of possibilities. But ultimately, we do rationally um, believe that there there is a potential to build that size of a company. We want people to be able to come in and, and build value on top of the platform that may even exceed the, the value of, you know, just the platform itself or the value that we build. But in fact, you know, it becomes kind of this entire ecosystem of which we only need to capture a very, very small slice of the, the kind of monetary value. Give me a few of your favorite uh, kind of off-label uses. There's an interesting, um, you know, company that, that does physical manufacturing of, of products. And so one of the interesting things is they have this real-time Basically, like logistics uh, management system built on top of the platform that um, that actually involves like there are literally these large, really large uh, displays, monitors um, that show Airtable inside their actual manufacturing facilities, which are in Central America. And you know, th- there's um, this whole basically assembly line uh, process where you know, literally, the way they they decide on what or know what to build, what to make physically on the, the factory lines is to look at this big screen that shows a real time view of of an air table of, of the products that they're they're building. I want to take a step back and talk about your background for a minute and kind of sure. what led you to this. So, I mean, you grew. I know you grew up in the Bay Area from a family of technologists, right? So this is just a natural um, extension for you, Airtable. Yep. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, sorry. Uh, uh, you know, I, I actually grew up in Texas, um, as, as you all well know. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and in many ways, um, the, you know, the transition to Silicon Valley to the Bay Area was both a really exciting one. I mean, um, the first time I came out to, to California was actually as, as part of a paid uh, interview trip for for the job that I would end up accepting, but then not showing up to. I'll give the listeners a quick kind of summary on that. Um, I like this one. Yeah, sure. So, you know, so I had very much been excited about technology throughout college and before, you know, long story short, had had landed with the help of my my now co-founder, Andrew, this uh, pretty incredible opportunity that uh, that was part of Accenture. It was called Accenture Tech Labs. And, um, and basically, it would entail going out and building application prototypes, um, often for, you know, startups, mm-hmm. tech companies, um, etc. So, so very much like this very relevant and immediate exposure to, to kind of building apps and like getting to know what it's like in, in uh, you know, kind of startup land. Um, came out and interviewed for it uh, in California. It was my first time in California um, and, uh, and the Bay Area. And, you know, I just, I loved uh, everything about it. You know, I mean, from the standpoint of somebody who, who grew up in, in Texas, I didn't travel a whole ton as, as a kid. Um, you know, it just, it seemed like paradise. Like the weather was really nice. There were palm trees yeah. lining the street. You could literally drive out to the ocean or the mountains and, and just the idyllic houses. Uh, you know, there's the, the famous like full house, you know, row of houses in, in Hayes Valley. And, and so everything just seemed like this dream. Um, it was super exciting. And then, you know, as the date approached for, for my, uh, my job to start, you know, I, I just kind of, you know, had always known that I wanted to do my own company. And I ultimately made a, a very difficult decision to forego this, this pretty amazing job opportunity that, that paid really well. Um, you know, uh, it, it paid more than, uh, you know, kind of my, my parents combined income at the time. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and so it was a pretty life changing, you know, opportunity and and um, and one that you know I didn't have necessarily the financial savings to just be able to walk away from without a second guess. And so, <laughs> do your parents think you were crazy? I mean, I mean, you grew up. I, I, for people don't know, you grew up um, in College Station, Texas, College Station, Texas yeah, or, and went to yeah. Duke. And your your parents or your dad was an academic, so very educated. But you know, we know how academics uh, how it pays. And you had this great yeah. Silicon Valley job. You said, you know what, I'm going to go and roll a dice on my own. What were what were your like? What did Andrew think? What did your parents think what your friends think yeah 
Well, you know, Andrew was, was uh, first of all, like an incredibly good sport about the whole ordeal, even though um, I think, yeah, he, he being the one who heard me a favor by by, uh, by helping me get this job, you know, he, he was a really great sport about it. He was uh, very supportive and, and ultimately didn't um, give me any flack about it. You know, my, my parents uh, were generally... Uh, also very supportive, you know, especially my mom, who had always been kind of the one who had, you know, kind of instilled this, you know, kind of, I think, uh, confidence in myself, uh, you know, especially to become an entrepreneur. And so, you know, I think it was it was certainly not an easy decision, you know, for them to support financially. You know, it's not like they could have you know, sent me, me checks in the mail or, or uh, given me kind of a um, a graceful fallback option yeah. if I failed, but but they were very very much supportive and you know uh, never once got kind of a second guess you know from 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 any of those folks um, you know parents yeah. or or Andrew. Do you think having no you mentioned like you you didn't have like a, a cushion to fall back on was that yeah. an advantage? You think you think it kind of you had kind of a take no prisoners approach like listen this is going to work or else you know I'm in deep <laughs> deep trouble. I think it can it can be both a good and a bad thing and, and both at the same time. I think it's you know, you're absolutely right that it compelled me to work harder than ever before. Right. Mm. So, you know, um talking about, you know, kind of earlier this this idea of, you know, pushing really, really hard, especially, you know, I think as a first time entrepreneur, you know, kind of having this lack of perspective. You know, I I think the the one thing I could do to try to maximize my my chances of not failing was to to work you know, my butt off and my uh-huh. co-founder at that time did as well. And so pulling these all-nighters, you know, pushing ourselves to the brink of, and, and sometimes to the past, uh, you know, past the brink of exhaustion, I think, you know, a lot of that was indeed motivated by, by the fact that, you know, like there, there was no turning back, you mm-hmm. know, we were, you know, swimming across the English channel and like, you know, at, at some point, like you've, you've passed that, that point <laughs> of no yeah. return. On the other hand, I think ultimately, I don't know that that is the only or even the best kind of motivation, you know, which is to say, like, you know, pushing hard doesn't always guarantee that you're pushing hard on the right things yeah, um, or that pushing hard on those things will even guarantee a better result than than thinking slower um, and more deeply. And so, you know, I think in stark contrast, you know, with Airtable, you know, I was very, very lucky to have had the outcome that I did with uh, with Salesforce acquiring my, my previous company. It gave me that that financial cushion, you know, to be able to 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 kind of take that time and, and be patient about and thoughtful about how we would build Airtable. And so ultimately, I think you get different things. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, I, I can't say I recommend you know, as, as a general piece of advice to mm-hmm. people, you know, take, take the first approach, you know, for, for many reasons. And tell me about, tell me about the kind of the, the, um, the evolution of Airtable. Now, you know, you have billion dollar valuation. Uh, how do you know how to be a CEO? How did you learn how to kind of, you know, manage and hire? I think being able to show the, the customer adoption and the depth of adoption within each customer, you know, was a really powerful proof point. Showing really strong revenue growth, I think, proved that this is mm-hmm. a product that isn't just a nice free product, but something that creates deep value that people are willing to pay for. You know, it's organic and it's, uh, you know, it's organically viral. And we've also shown our ability to execute on that broader vision because the product hasn't remained in standstill from its initial launch, but rather we've continued to build, you know, major steps forward of the platform. We're really, really, really not trying um, to just become another, even if great productivity tool um, in the world, but rather we're executing on this vision that takes us further and further away 
away um, from the world of just spreadsheets, of even just databases, and pushes more into the software vision. Um, for the first three years, investors mostly, you know, uh, out there in the world, the broader set of investors in the world, didn't understand what we were building. Um, and so, you know, we would go out and, and uh, for a seed round, um, you know, pitched a bunch of people. And like, I think like maybe 1% of the people we pitched actually got it. You know, we, I think the, the, the way that we survived that, that long, you know, kind of incubation process was just having a lot of fortitude around our own vision um, and how we would go about it. What truth did you assume when you were 20 years old that's kind of, you've changed now? Like what, what's a certain thing that you've changed your mind on? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, um, if anything, I've gotten more self-aware, which is to say, like, I don't think, you know, um, you know, at 22, I think, um, I think that's, uh, when I, I, uh, first started on an air table, you know, I had just come out of, you know, founding and, and selling a company to Salesforce. And even though it was, um, you know, very stressful and, and kind of, you know, uh, short-sighted, you know, at every step, step of the way, um, kind of experience, you know, it, it, it was kind of a high to come out of, right. You know, at, um, at age 20 to, to get to do this very, um, incredible thing. And, and, uh, obviously I had a lot of fortunate circumstances that enabled me to do that. Um, but I kind of came out of it and, you know, honestly felt a little bit, uh, you know, too much like, you know, oh, like I've, I've figured out this thing that is entrepreneurship. Right. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be very confident in my own abilities to go and, and succeed again. Um, and I think just over time, like, I've just realized all of the different hard things about becoming not just, you know, kind of the founder of a company that can get initially off the ground, but then also, you know, the CEO or, or, um, or any, you know, kind of team member that's helping to build a great organization. And so, you know, I think I've just become more cognizant of, of the, the deficiencies in my own skill set. You know, like I'm not um, yet a great CEO and, and maybe never will be, you know, in terms of like, you know, there, there's always room to improve, right? Like I, I'll, I'll be happy to just be good at any given stage with a clear intent of getting even better. So you were a little, sorry, you, so you were a little, when you were like early 20s, a little cocky in the sense that what yeah, you could do. I would do, say, yeah. I mean, arrogant, I mean, no question. Um, no, 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 not in like this, very external way I don't think like you know I wasn't going out and, and kind of bragging to people about my entrepreneurial uh, <laughs> you know kind of uh, ability really not in the uh, valley I think in uh, do you still you have know, your do you sell your Lamborghini you still have it uh, I never had a Lamborghini um, <laughs> you know um I, I never really got too far into the, the whole, what I would call like the scene, um, you know, the, there's like, you know, there, there's actually kind of like this party scene of, you know, different cliques of, of uh, Silicon Valley founders and, and operators. It seems like a broken record uh, experience of, you know, at, at some of these get togethers, it's very much like, you know, a lot of puffing up you know, one's chest, you know, and, uh, and trying to, you know, kind of impress the other people about, you know, what you're working on or what you've worked on. And yeah, what do they brag know, about? Think, they brag about projects or funding or you name it? I think, you know, all of the above. Yeah. All of the above. You know, I think it's, it's, you know, there, there's nothing wrong. Like people should take pride in, in their work. And like, mm. I think there's, you know, a healthy balance of self-promotion and, and humility, but, you know, at least for me, you know, I, I was never really that into, you know, that scene. So it was more of a, a social recluse as it, as it pertained to, you know, startups and, and startup parties. But, mm. but I think, um, you know, the, the arrogance, uh, you know, was definitely in my mind, I think about just kind of feeling more like the master of the universe than, than, uh, 
was you know far far more than than was uh, appropriate given my actual skill set. Did you have like a, was there one experience that you that was kind of a, a nice grounding experience and like a humbling experience? You know, honestly, if you had asked me on day one, like how long is it going to take you to get to the point that that uh, we are now? I mean, I probably would have guessed like a couple years, maybe three years, but I think that um, it. it took so much longer and that was a very humbling uh aspect of it was there like an anxiety that it was taking so long i feel like kind of feel like you know it's like you're suddenly a, a novelist and your your manuscript has is like fifty thousand pages and you think you might have gotten a little too deep what is was there yeah was there a sense of that especially since your first company was like created and sold in a year and, and suddenly you're still kind of on this this treadmill constantly I think at every point there was a question, you know, certainly before we launched of like, should we just be satisfied with where we are now and like launch, you know, with what we have, or should we push a little bit further? Um, and, and I think that's a, a really tough question for all companies to decide like what's enough, you know, what constitutes enough, good enough to kind of launch initially. Um, honestly, um, and going back to the, the kind of Silicon Valley uh, scene and, and the parties in the kind of rare occasions where, you know, I or, or uh, you know, or other early team members would go to these things like, or even just interacting with people, you know, it doesn't have to be at a party, but, you know, you, we've all had these, um, you know, conversations with, with a certain type of friend or, or acquaintance where it's kind of like, oh, how are things going? And, you know, it's not like a, uh, you know, it's kind of the question is sort of loaded with like a, well, like, you know, prove to me that, yeah. <laughs> you know, what you're working on is legitimate. You could say it, Howie. We all know that the number one hobby in Silicon Valley is talking shit about other founders. We, we know that's <laughs> the deal. Well, you know, uh, um, well, no, no comment. You can feel people like, oh, that's Howie. He's he's still been prototyping for three years. Yeah, like, no, I mean, honestly, there was a lot of judgment. Um, and so one way to one way to handle that is just not to have those conversations very. So you know, you don't go to yeah. the Silicon Valley parties. You don't have to go and pitch people. You know, there, there's inevitably this time when people are like, oh, so what do you do, or what what are you working on? And you know, if you just kind of avoid the situations where you know you have to make some effort to to pitch um, what you're working on, you know, I think I think there, there's there's just kind of less judgment to be doled out. People people love your baby now, Howie. So it, it was all worth Thank all you. worth the wait. Forbes is, I can see the viral thing. Forbes, all these different Forbes divisions are now using uh, Airtable for everything, including That's we awesome. we schedule um, our we organize our podcast on it now. Oh, awesome! That's great to hear. So now, now everyone out in Silicon Valley, you'll be seeing how we hitting the uh, the party circuit, right? No, now you can. Well, now the benefit is we can crowdsource that, and uh, and you and, and the the other folks there can uh, can go out and pitch us at the parties. We'll still uh, take a pass on the party scene. For good, now. good. Me too. Just come out, come out to Manhattan. It's a lot more fun. Right? Yeah. Well, sure. I want to thank Howie Liu, the CEO and co-founder of Airtable. Howie, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Forbes interview. I'm Stephen Bertoni. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'll see you next week.